CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, September 25th, 2020. But of course, it's a podcast. You could be listening to it anytime. And one thing I've learned from doing these podcasts for the last year or so Whenever I do a podcast on this particular subject with this particular man, people are still logging into it months later. Um, has to do with my beloved Chicago Bulls. As I do all the time, uh, when I have a bonus interview, I read you the headline uh, that's in the paper so you know kind of what's in the news at the day. Uh, and this headline is very appropriate to our conversation that will be coming up. Quote from today's Sun-Times, the right man at the right time. Karnasovas, uh, confident Donovan will be able to get the most out of the Bulls roster. And with that, I'll ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. Ben, how you doing? It's Joe Colley from the Chicago Sun-Times. The Chicago Sun-Times, my beloved bright one. And Joe covers my beloved Chicago Bulls. And so much to discuss, as that headline says. We've been talking about this conversation for a while. We've been promoting it on the show. Got a lot of Bulls fans out there. There's a new coach, Joe Colley, uh, Billy Donovan, Billy Ball, as the headline on your story read a couple days ago. But before we jump to talk about the newest coach of my beloved Chicago Bulls, let's just talk a little bit about the last coach uh, that the Bulls had, uh, Jim Boylan. The departed Jim Boylan. Joe, before we move on to Billy Donovan, just sort of give, in your humble opinion, the pros and cons of the Boylan era. Um, I think the pros were that Jim gave them a forceful voice and a discipline that um, they needed. Um, this young group kind of strayed away from that under Fred, and that was by no means Fred's fault. I think Fred... Uh, came from a culture in Minnesota, especially with Kevin Garnett, where the players govern themselves and govern the, lock, govern the locker room. And so he thought men would be men and, and handle that. And that wasn't the case. You know, the NBA's changed, and it was more of a babysitting gig than, than, than Fred anticipated. And obviously when they blew it up and went young and got rid of Jimmy Butler, um, you know, that was kind of the, the beginning of the downfall for the Fred Hoiberg era. Um, so the those were the pros, I thought. I thought the cons, uh, there were many of those that outweighed the pros. Um, I think Jim cared about way too many things besides X's and O's. I think Jim involved himself in way too many things besides X's and O's, um, where you should have just been coaching. And, and again, I don't know if that's – I think some of it is Jim. He had a reputation as, as being a bit of an operator um, before the Bulls even hired him. 
But I think a lot of it had to do with the culture that was allowed to permeate throughout that building. And when you have a guy like Gar Foreman who everyone sees is surviving rather than winning and is putting people against each other and just kind of just being underhanded in his methodology of the way he went about things. I think other guys see that and say, okay, that's the way of, of the, the, the bulls business and that's the culture of the bulls. So I'm going to do the same thing. I mean, look how long Gar has survived by doing a very average job. And so I think Jim got caught up in that and, you know, learned from his general manager, survival one one on one in the Bulls organization. And when you're doing that, you're straying away from what the goal is, and that's to win basketball games. And so um, I think a lot went wrong, and it was not a culture where a guy like Jim Boylan could flourish or concentrate on just coaching because of all the antics going on. So, um, and he unfortunately got caught, caught up in a lot of those antics. Well, I have to tell you, as a long-suffering Bulls fan, well, not really long-suffering, long-time Bulls fan, the last few years have been rough. Uh, the hiring of Billy Donovan, uh, Joe, is completely unique. I go back to the first year of the Bulls, and I can't think of an instance where the Chicago Bulls looked at the coaching market and said, who's the most experienced uh, coach available with the best yeah. track record yep. who could instantly change this. And we're going to have to pay to get them. But no, the Bulls usually get college coaches. They get assistants. Sometimes it works out. Tommy Thibodeau was a great coach. We all know that. But he was an assistant. He was not. Uh, it was his first job. And so that was a classic Bulls hire. Talk about Billy Donovan and the change that's reflected uh, in the Bulls organization by hiring a person with his background. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't think you could stress enough. You know, Billy Donovan, I think, is the finished product of this new regime. But I think it started with Michael Reinsdorf. And look, we've talked about this before on this podcast. And I know people called BS on me and thought I was just, uh, you know, stroking Michael Reinsdorf in some way. And, and not really tell them the true story of what was going on because the actions were not supporting my words. And I kept saying Michael Reinsdorf is going through each department and um, slowly in this takeover and this, this power he's been given by his father to run this organization, um, he was kind of dragging his feet to the basketball side. And I think that's where the impatience with the fan base kind of grew is he was making sure the business side is tight getting involved in all the meetings, all the departments, making sure that was all handled. And eventually he got over to the basketball side. And I don't think he knew things were as a, a clown car as they were. And I don't think he understood the, unprofessionalism that was going on on that basketball side of things. And when he eventually did get over to that side, and a lot of it had to do with John Paxson coming to Jerry Reinsdorf and Michael Reinsdorf last December and saying, you know, I've kind of had enough. And I think Paxson um, was just numb to everything. The competitiveness was kind of sucked out of him by just all of the these the antics going on in the background and 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 he was responsible for that that was under his watch um but i felt i think he find it kind of felt powerless that you know at the end of the day if he wanted to go after gar foreman jerry would have to give the okay so he you know i think he just kind of got worn down by the process but whatever michael finally got to the basketball side of things 
and in doing so and empowering a guy like Arturis Karnasovas, who across the board of every NBA organization, anyone you talk to, executives, scouts, anyone, was in a, a standing ovation higher. And still, we, 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 we see that higher, but Boylan's still around. And, you know, I reported that initially I reported right away that Boylan was gone. The, the meetings with the players did not go in his favor with Arturis and then obviously Mark Eversley, who was hired to replace Foreman. But as this thing went on and the coronavirus and the, and the money was being talked about, and then I reported that the business side of the Bulls kind of had a hiring freeze and was on kind of high alert as far as spending, the feeling from the organization – And that's all I reported was this was the feeling from the organization from within. And this is players and other coaches is that they were going to stick with Boylan because of the financial concerns. And um, lo and behold, they, they fire Boylan. And then for them to go and not only say, this is a new regime, this is a new day and we'll continue to prove it to you to go out. And, and as you identified, say, who's the most experienced coach, who's the best coach on this open market and pivot away from the assistants that they were interviewing and just say, boom, Billy Donovan's uh, okay. That's it. We're going after Billy Donovan. He's, he's, he's available. We didn't see this. This wasn't on our list of guys. And now we, it is. And the aggressiveness that Karnasovas took, you know, you know, Billy Donovan said he just drove home for 17 hours. He gets back to Florida to spend time with his family and our tourist is like, hey, we want to come and talk to you on Friday. And he's like, whoa, whoa, let me at least have the weekend. And can you guys come on Monday? And so um, this is not your your father's bulls. And this is not even your big brother's bulls. This is a changing <laughs> of the guard that we have not seen from this organization since I moved to Chicago back in 97. So, uh, no, it is definitely. And I could tell you, I could, I think I could recite every bulls coach. This is a sad statement about my, uh, infatuation with the team, but, and I will spare you the recitation, Joe Colley, but I can recite every bulls coach. And the only one that even come closely to this is Stan Allback, who had experience with San Antonio when, right. when uh, the bulls hired him in the, in the mid eighties, but he was gone. He was like uh, ready to be fired almost like within three Before months of being, yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> they were undercutting him from the get-go. So, uh, all right. So let's. That's a good point to discuss. How much authority will Donovan have? And let me just say this: uh, you've spent, you've written many articles about how the Bulls uh, under uh, Foreman and Paxson were always undercutting Thibodeau. Yeah, always spreading word, like trying to turn the public against Thibodeau. Uh, and uh, and successfully doing so, and successfully turning, turning his own, turning the Thibodeau's own players against him. Yeah, because they saw the writing on the wall. All right, how how will this be different? How much authority does Billy Donovan have, and protections that Billy Donovan has, and working collaboration with the front offices he have that Thibodeau didn't have? Well, he wasn't going to take this gig unless he was given. There's two things that I think stand out in the Billy Donovan hiring. Okay, one is they kept using the word partnership. He and Arturis were on the call together and they talked about a partnership and how this was going to be kind of hand in hand building this thing or rebuilding this thing or tearing it apart and, 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 and adding to it. And it was going to be a partnership. And that's what Arturis wanted with the head coach. So that right tells you the, the, how 
much respect he has for Billy Donovan. This wasn't like I'm hiring my good buddy, Billy Donovan. I mean, those they knew each other, but there was no relationship like you usually see with a new hire and a coach. Usually there's some kind of relationship. They work together before. There was none of that. This was just this dude is the best in the business that's out on that open market, and I'm going to get him, and damn it, we're going to make it work. That was Arturis' attitude. So that's number one. Number two, Billy Donovan doesn't want to get into the details of why he exactly left Oklahoma City. It was initially reported that there was a parting of ways mutual because Oklahoma City wanted to blow the thing up and start with a whole new rebuild from ground zero, and Billy Donovan didn't want to do that. Now, whether he wanted to do that or not do that, he was insane. He just said there's a lot of stuff out there. Some of it's true. Some of it's not true. Okay. But if there's any hint of truth to it, if there's any smoke around that, then follow the flames. And here's, to me, the thing that stands out. Billy Donovan is leaving an Oklahoma City rebuild to come to another rebuild? No. I'm sorry. I think – in those meetings that he had with Arturis and Mark Eversley, there was a roadmap shown to him that either involves going after a huge name player with the assets they currently have, because Arturis is not married to these assets and makes a point of saying, yes, we have young players, but we also have picks and we have cap money and we have assets. So he is not married to any of these guys, including Zach Levine, who's arguably the best player on the team. So I think he was he told Billy Donovan, A, we're going this route, a trade route, or B, we will make sure that we move pieces so when that historic twenty twenty one free agent class comes comes to the to the open market, we are there with the most money and the best um you know, the best setting for multiple superstars to come here because people don't realize this. The Bulls may be one of the, the – I mean, there's only three teams under the cap going into this offseason, okay? Now there's a lot more teams that open up next season when that class opens up. But at the same time, that – you don't know what the China money is going to do to the salary cap and the loss of the China money, and you don't know what COVID's final destruction is going to be as far as the cap sal- the salary cap. So they may be in a awesome situation where the cap is lowered. They have money to spend and all these big time free agents only have so much money that they have to split amongst the pool. So you may get guys a lot cheaper than you initially thought two years ago when, when everyone was talking about, Oh, 21 is going to be historic as far as money and the money thrown around and blah, blah, blah. There might not be the money to throw around. So I think, I think, and that's just my opinion. I was not told this by anyone. I think there had to be a bigger sell than because this wasn't Billy Donovan didn't need need the money. I mean, you know, he was making a nice penny at Oklahoma City, and they had to pay a good penny to bring him here to Chicago. To me, there's something bigger involved here, and he was shown a roadmap that he really likes. That either with this year or next year, he will be coaching elite players in Chicago. And this thing will be completely this roster, as we know, will be completely flipped around. All right, and when just to settle this, uh, when they say next year, uh, because of COVID, the season will probably begin in January. Is my understanding? They're saying in January. Yeah, at first they said December, and then they said that was a little ambitious, and and so. Um, I think they're looking at kicking it to January in hopes of a vaccine that allows fans back in the stands. 
I think obviously the whole thing is fluid. If the situation shows that a vaccine is not near or if there's a different strain, I think they could revisit moving it up to December and just saying we're no, we know we're not going to have fans in the stands, so we're just going to play this out, start it, you know, just a month off schedule and then see what happens. But, you know, and then you got the Olympics, too, that you have to keep in mind. Are there going to be Olympics next summer? Because you don't want international players who some of them feel the Olympics are more important than the NBA season um, in their mind, you know, playing for their country and and playing that international ball. Um, So you have to make sure that that won't be a collision of, of, of two worlds. So, um, there's a lot going on as far as that, and it's very fluid still. All right, well, let's just work from the assumption that the season starts in January, just to give us some parameters here. Uh, okay. the, you, you lay out two options, trade, free agent. Let's stick with trade. Let's start with trade first. Obviously, as you said, uh, the most valuable player the Bulls have, in my humble opinion, is Zach Levine. Uh, he was the only one who you could argue flourished uh, amidst the dysfunction of the Jim Boylan era. Uh, and he did that, I think, more as it shows it's a sign of, I'll say this, it's a sign of strength on his part that he could keep it mentally together with uh, all the ups and the downs of that regime. Uh, So he's pretty solid. He averaged about 24 points a game, whatever. I don't have it in front of me. Um, The Bulls would trade him. Well, what do you think he would command on on the market? Well, I mean, you know, I threw it out there as just kind of like a, uh, if this is the benchmark, okay, if Milwaukee feels like Giannis is not coming back to them, they're going to try getting the most bang for their buck now, this offseason, you know, with, with two more years left on them, obviously bowing out of the playoffs early. So I, I don't think there's anybody on the Bulls that you don't trade for Giannis. Four overall pick for Giannis, you don't blink twice. I don't even think Milwaukee would – feel like that's enough and 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 it probably isn't but you don't blink twice if you're the bulls if that's the asking price whether it's zach or wendell carter in a number four overall the number four pick overall whatever it is it has to be something of that caliber of that of that um that superstardom if you ask me um that they, that you know, and, and I don't think the sky. There's no sky is is the limit with our tourists, and so um, I think he will look for all guys that are kind of locked up for multiple years, and including his guy Jokic in in Denver, and you know, and, and kick the tires on him to see how happy he is and how much he is through back channels willing to stay put in Denver, or is he looking to go elsewhere? So. Um, you know, I, I, I think all all the major players that have multiple years left on their contract are in play. Hmm. Wow, that's encouraging. Just the thought of Giannis uh, on the Chicago Bulls uh, has me smiling on two fronts. One, uh, because he'd be great to have him on the Bulls. And another is because I have so many uh, f- uh, friends who are cheeseheads that have uh, been pounding their chest about him playing for the Bucks. And if he comes to Chicago, the roles will be reversed. Right, all right, right. let's talk – I know, God, cheese heads, man. All right, that's a whole other issue. Uh, let's talk free agents. Uh, the general rule of thumb is that nobody would come to the Chicago Bulls, but I, I look back historically, they Kobe, uh, Kobe Bryant wanted to come to the Bulls uh, back in the, the mid-O's, uh, and I do believe that D. Wade and LeBron James were serious about coming to the Bulls in 2010. Oh, they were more than serious. They admitted they, that's that if, if they could have moved Luol Deng, and fit Bosch into it, it would have been your starting five would have been Joaquin Noah, Chris Bosch, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, and Derek Rose. Have fun with that. 
That's a pretty good start. Oh, uh, now I'm crying, Joe. I'm just I'm well, thinking about the 2010 free agency. I'm we ended up with Carlos you. Boozer. Um, yeah, all right. So, so, uh, but in the last couple years, the Bulls have been a joke. Uh, and they've been depicted as a dysfunctional operation. So the notion is no free agent would want to go uh, to Chicago. Has that changed with the hiring of Billy Donovan? It changed with the hiring of Arturis Karnasovas and then Mark Eversley. And, you know, I mean, you you look at at the the interesting thing to me is you look at two of the the bigger hires in the offseason that are kind of sneaky hires that aren't the usual path for guys. And you look at the New York Knicks, bringing in worldwide West and you bring, and you look at the bulls bringing in Mark Eversley, whose major background and footprint was at Nike. Those Nike dudes know everything about every player, mom, dad, grandma, aunt, family members, who likes what shoe, who the boys are, who the camp is, who's got the, the loudest voice in the camp or the entourage, everything. They know everything. Those Nike guys are hustlers. And so, and everyone knows Worldwide West's rep- reputation and, and, and how he knows all these players and their entourage or their, or their camps or however you want to phrase it. So, the Knicks and the Bulls going in that direction, I think, shows you that they're serious about free agency and, and what's coming in 21. Then you add Arturis into it, who has a great reputation with not only players, but with agents and and other executives. And then the final piece of this puzzle is you bring in a coach like Billy Donovan, who, you know, you just read what Joakim Noah said about him back, you know, back from the Florida days. And, And I haven't heard many players say anything bad about Billy Donovan, even guys that weren't real happy at Oklahoma city over the last five years. It wasn't because of Billy Donovan. So, um, you're sitting at a whole different table now that if you're a free agent, you, the old table was Pax, who, you know, he's got some rings and has some competitiveness. Then Gar Foreman and Jim Boylan compared to a table now of Arturis, Mark Eversley, and, and Billy Donovan. Come on, man. That's not even – that's – that's. I mean, that's a whole different class of, of people you're sitting by. So, um, you know, I think it's it's – you can't even say same old bulls with free agency because this this table has so much more power uh, uh, around it that I, I think the days of swinging and missing at free agents it won't it won't it won't be because of who was at that table what was said wrong the recruiting process you know the stumble around that seemed to happen too far too often it won't be because of that. Well. Uh... You mentioned Joakim Noah. You mentioned Lu, uh, Luol Deng. Uh, the, the sort of the divorce they've had with the Bulls are so symbolic of the dysfunction uh, of the Gar Foreman era. And you add to that Jimmy Butler. We've talked extensively about how the Bulls blew it with Jimmy Butler. We're seeing it yep. right now with yep. what he's doing for Miami. I'd just like to point Rajon Rondo and Jimmy Butler were on the same Bulls team. If you had any kind of coach, Joe Cowley, any kind of coach, that would have been a powerhouse team that you could build around back in 2017, I believe it was. But the Bulls went in a different direction. The rest is no, is uh, we all know. Do you think there's a chance that just for PR purposes, they would bring Joe Kim Noah and Luol Deng back, either you know as a assistant coach or will Joe Kim Noah is still playing? Do you think there's any chance that they'll do that? 
No, I mean, Luol, Luol Deng is an ambassador, and I think the Bulls have a relationship with him and with his charities and stuff. That was, you know, that, that happened over the last year. Um, Joe Keem, I think, still feels like he has some basketball left in him, but it's not it's not with the Bulls. I don't think that would, you know, I, I, I don't see any kind of fit there or, you know, if Billy Donovan wanted to throw him a branch just to bring him into camp if, if things were going that poorly for him. But I, I don't foresee – um, I mean, you never say never. You definitely come on the cheap, but I, I don't think that I don't think that's high on the priority list at this point. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the players uh, that they have, the years that they had last year, uh, and what you see going forward. Uh, we begin with Zach Levine. Let's say they don't trade him. Let's just work from that assumption. Okay. Uh, as I said, and you said he had, he probably was the the most valuable bull last year. Had the best uh, record. Uh, in the stories that you've written. Uh, over the last few months, he's let it be known that he really felt uh, tied down by the Bulls' obsession with analytics, and yep. took they took away his mid-range weapon. Talk about that, Joe. Yeah, I mean, he talked about it again yesterday. You know, I was the first one to write it last camp. Uh, last it was fall camp, and he got pissed at me, and we had to have a, uh, a, a what started as a shouting match. I was like, dude, you just said this stuff. It's on my recorder. Well, he doesn't like, I mean, the thing about Zach, he doesn't like when the bosses are unhappy with him. And there's something to be said about that. I mean, some, you know, some may see it as a weakness. Some may see it as a strength. He doesn't like to rock the boat. And I don't think he knew the fallout would be so, so quick and so angry at him. You know, by the time he came off the court at, at at that game, he was getting yelled at by, I don't remember if it was Pax or whoever for, you know, going in on the analytics guys. And, and his point was valid. His point still rings true. And the numbers support everything he said. They took away the mid range game and they made them basically a two dimensional team in a three dimensional sport where, you know, teams knew, if, if, you, if you are coming off a pick or if you're in ISO and you go at someone, they know they could rotate a big to the rim because they know that's where you're going. You're not going to stop at the free throw line and pull up from, you know, from, from mid-range because that's not what that was being frowned upon. So it became – and especially late in games and in the playoffs where you need the mid-range. I mean, you look at some of the legendary performances the last three or four years, whether it was C.J. McCullough for Portland and what he did last year in the playoffs with his mid-range. You know, Jokic, I think we know what he does from mid-range. I mean, there's just some guys. Kawhi Leonard won a championship with just being a, a mid-range, you know, demon um, with Toronto last year. So um, – you know, there's guys that really excel at that, and Zach has always felt, true or untrue, that his mid-range was another lethal weapon that he could put on, put against teams. And so he said it the other day. I asked him about it on the Zoom call he had with the media. I'm like, what does it mean that Billy Donovan comes out in his opening press conference and when talking about the philosophy of his offense, he's basically like, I have guys like Chris Paul and Paul George and, and these guys – they flourish in the mid-range, and we want that. It's about getting the best shot, not getting the best three or the best shot at the rim. It's about getting the best shot. And so Zach was, you know, smile, um, you know, ear to ear, talking about, hey, I've been basically last year. I was, I did what I did, basically playing with one hand behind my back. I mean, that's exactly his exact quote. So, um, and he's not the only one. 
uh, Lowry felt his mid-range, especially his kind of step-back game and his fadeaway game in the paint uh, was taken away from him. Wendell felt like he was completely just, uh, you know, announced as a starter and then just basically a decoy guy who had to get his points from, you know, just garbage baskets, whether it's him rebounding or a loose ball or or something like that. So um, even Kobe White said that he has a mid-range game that he would have liked to shown off a little more. So, um, and again, that goes back to the fact that Jim Boylan was more concerned on appeasing people, appeasing the bosses. He knew, whether he believed in that offense or not, he knew that, that Michael Reinsdorf and John Paxson liked the analytics guys and liked what they came up with as a game plan. So he wasn't going to fight it, even though he, whether he felt like that was the way to go or not, or, or he knew he had the team to do it or not. And the other thing that, that Billy Donovan said is, if you're going to be a three-point shooting team, kind of like the Bulls were, I know pre uh, post-bubble they ended up being 11th as far as attempts, but I think they were higher. Um, before the bubble and, and when their regular season ended. I don't remember if they were ninth or eighth or something like that, and they were down in the 20s in, 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 in three-point percentage made. So, obviously, you could tell that it wasn't that, that this wasn't the right fit. But, um, you know, and, and Billy Donovan came out and said, hey, the bottom line is if you want to shoot a lot of threes, that's great, but you build a team with three-point shooters then. If you want to shoot twos, then you better have guys that understand mid-range and know how to shoot twos. And so you kind of build to the strength of your team instead of just taking this philosophy and saying, we're going to make these guys play this way. Even though they're not great at it, <laughs> screw it. We're going to make them play this way. So um, that was refreshing to hear, a coach that actually understands, you know what, you coach to what your, playing st- your player's strengths are, and if you don't like your player's strengths, then you rebuild it so that you can play with a philosophy that suits you. So, um, you know, just stuff that com- is common sense and makes sense. That was nice to hear. Yeah, it, the what you just laid out is a perversion of what analytics is supposed to be. Analytics is supposed to use numbers to build upon your strengths right. uh, and minimize your weaknesses. And they used analytics to uh, maximize their weaknesses and minimize their strengths. Yep. Uh, all right, you mentioned Laurie Marketing. We've talked about him several times uh, with your appearances, Joe. Uh, in all my life as an NBA fan, I don't recall any player that took a step back quite as dramatically as Laurie Marketing. And there's, there's a, an award for most improved player in the uh, NBA. He would probably be the most unimproved player in the NBA. Uh, he went from averaging about 19 points a game uh, his second year to averaging about 15 points a game last year. That's a big step back. Uh, and the third year is supposed to be the big step forward. What happened with Laurie and what hopes do you have uh, for him uh, having a rest? Renaissance under Billy Donovan. I, I think what initially happened was um, saw a role in the offense that he didn't like, um, and then to hit on his fault on his shoulders is I think he uh, it wore on him and got in his head and made him a bit pouty, and so um, I just think it was, and then he got hurt. So I, I think it was a snowball of bad that just kind of started with, you know, him being a, a basically a seven-foot Doug McDermott in the offense where you come <laughs> off curls and you if you get the ball at the three-point line, you shoot it. If you don't, you know, you don't. And, um, you know, some of it was on him where he could have been more aggressive and trying to get rebounds and trying to make things happen. But it just shows you how bad the philosophy of the offense changed where you saw what he was, uh, you know, February 2019 – 
and then you saw what he was February 2020. It didn't even look like the same player. Um, yeah. You know, and, and a lot of a lot of that falls on not only the analytics department not understanding what they had and what his strengths are, but Jim Boylan allowing that to happen and allowing that regression to happen under his watch. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think it'll be a huge bounce back season for him because I think you have a, a guy that understands what a player's strengths are and how to maximize those maximize those strengths. Well, I hope so. It'll make a big difference uh, if he actually goes forward. And finally, my uh, favorite bull, you know this, I talk about him all the time, and uh, uh, that would be the rookie. Well, now he's heading his second year, uh, Kobe White. Right. And um, you've been critical of Kobe White as a point guard. Uh, but what's right. your thoughts of how his game will develop with Billy Donovan? Well, he's going to learn. He's, we're all going to learn if he's a point guard or not, because he's got a coach that understands point guard play. And, uh, you know, from way back in his college days. So, you know, Billy Donovan knows point guards, knows how to maximize point guards um, and, and get them to understand the offense and stuff. And so, no, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does with him and if this guy actually is a point guard. Um, I don't think he – you know, he, he, I don't think he fully understands what being a professional point guard at the NBA level entails, and I don't think he was taught that under this current uh, or under the former coaching regime. Um, he will be taught under, under this coaching regime and, and will have every opportunity to show court vision and, and other things. The thing, the, the, my knock on him is we kind of knew what he was at North Carolina, and he kind of was the same thing with the Bulls somewhat, and and it was the same, you know, when you talk to scouts, yes, his straight-line speed north-south is ridiculous. There aren't many guys that are going basket-to-basket basket with, with Kobe White. There just aren't. But there's a stiffness to his game that you don't see many point guards have. Doesn't have a lot of shake, doesn't have that kind of shiver move where, you know, it's just speed, it's just boom and just go. And, and at this level, you need a ch- I mean, Luka Doncic is not the fastest guy, but his understanding of changing speeds at the point guard position and that first step is just ridiculous. And what he does to guys for being a big kind of and bulky-looking point guard because he understands change of speed, momentum, angles, and that first step is ridiculous. So um, I would like to see him grasp that a little bit more because that that if they – if they can get him to move in that direction of being more of a point guard, a distributor, a playmaker, understanding how to make guys successful, you know, they've got his teammates successful by getting the ball in successful situations, things like that. Um, then they don't have to worry about, uh, you know, Chris Dunn or Sadoransky or what they are or what they're lacking. Their answer will be right there in front of them. So, um, you know, I think it's a, it's huge. I think there's, there's he definitely goes under the category of guys to watch under Billy Donovan because um, you know we have to see him move in one direction or the other. Is he a point guard or is he not? And I, and I think we have the coach now or the coach is in place now to make sure that that, that, that is answered and answered quickly. All right. Speaking of guys to watch, the drafts uh, in November, I want to say, the Bulls have the number four. Who's a guy to watch? You could uh, tell the listeners that you hope is available at the four slot. And if you have the one pick, you can take anybody you want in the draft. But who do you – who's the guy out there that you are secretly, quietly hoping 
is available so the Bulls can take them. Well, from a selfish standpoint, you give me anybody from the Ball family just so I could cover the old man. <laughs> then I'm, I'm, a, I'm on. You know me. That's my wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah. Um, but <laughs> that's just my own selfish ass. If if you're talking about who I would like to see in a Bulls uniform because he intrigues me, it's seven foot one James Wiseman from 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 Memphis. And the reason I say that is because. I think he has some DeAndre Ayton in him where you didn't see them. And, look, there's so limited tape on him because of his suspension and then because of COVID shutting down college basketball. Hmm. But the high school tape, what the scouts feel about him, there is some DeAndre Ayton where you say, eh, you know what, 7-1 and those physical tools, tools, there should have been more out of him at times. Maybe the motor's not there or the will is not there. But as we are seeing with the Phoenix Suns, I don't. I think that can be taught, and that could be with good leadership and good veteran leadership and good coaching. That can be taught, and I like where DeAndre Ayton is headed. Um, I think he took steps in that category, and I think Wiseman's even ahead of him at this point in that category as far as motor. Um, but his athleticism and the way he runs the floor and the ability to eventually become a rim protector – and, uh, you know, pretty good wide range of shots for his height. That, to me, is the guy that I would like to see in a Bulls uniform because I think it then it puts pressure on either Wendell or Lowry to say, one of us is the four, so we've got to compete for that, and one of us have to step up instead of just kind of, you know, their careers have both kind of been a little bit muddied and we haven't seen the best of either. That would make one of them say, well, hell, now we got a starting center that's a legit 7-1 instead of under, an undersized center in Wendell or Lowry playing the center. Um, and so I would like to see those two kind of have to compete. And it would also give the Bulls a chance to trade one of those as, as an asset um, because now they have a guy that they feel more comfortable with is, is a true big. So, um I think that's the one that I would like to see go at four just because I think it would put a lot more pieces in place. And, and there, look, there's some other good top ends interesting. I mean, there's a lot of interesting guys, you know. I mean, that's what this tra- that's the problem with this draft. There's a lot of interesting guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of guys with interesting warts all over them too, because there's no <laughs> there's no prospect that you say, gotta have this guy. Yeah. No, 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 you know, no chinks in the armor. This guy is as pure a prospect as we've seen. This is Zion. This is Jot. There's nothing even resembling that. So, you know, the, the greatest player in this draft may be a guy that's picked 12 or 15, unfortunately. And that's what this, this draft is about. So, um, but I'd say James Wiseman to me would be the interesting pick. Yeah. Uh, by the way, it's not that rare for um, uh, the great, in retrospect, to discover that the greatest uh, pick in a draft was mid like 15 20 I, I forget what jimmy butler was he was the low pick he was last pick last pick of the first round yeah and he made yeah. i gotta go back and look at that draft he may be the best player uh in that draft and Giannis was i think 15th or something like that yeah, uh, yeah. all right before i uh close with your final prediction just uh, on a personal level i'm wondering any talk that mo cheeks We'll be uh, coming to Chicago to join the staff. Mo Cheeks was an assistant to Billy Donovan when he was at Oklahoma, and he was a legendary Chicago player, uh, grew up in the city of Chicago. Any talk that he'll be joining the staff? I definitely think there's going to be a a Donovan hire or two, and Mo Cheeks would – you you connect the dots. 
um, that would seemingly be one of them. Um, but I think, you know, they're going through the process of seeing how Billy Donovan feels about the, the staff that's left or what, you know, the skeleton crew that's kind of been running this mini camp. And then I think he'll make a decision and say, okay, can I work with Fleming? Can I work with Rogers? Do I like them? Do I like what they bring? And then what am I missing? What do I need? What is my right-handed guy that I want to, to bring? So I think he'll definitely be allowed, be allowed to have at least one hire, possibly two, um, that he feels good with. And, um, you know, and I definitely think Cheeks is in play. Yeah. Well, I hope it's Bo Cheeks. Uh, I, I, he was a great Chicago player in the 70s. I played high school ball here. All right, we'll close it with this. We'll get your predictions. Uh, we're in the middle of a fascinating, it's been a blast watching it, a bubble playoff run. I am thoroughly enjoying it. I don't know if you're enjoying it as much, uh, Joe. What's your prediction as to who will uh, emerge to face off in the finals and who ultimately will be the champion? I think it's going to be Miami and the Lakers and Hart wants Jimmy to win a ring and show everyone that he is, a, he is the face of a franchise. And if, if he leads and it's the right guys, it's hard guys, not soft guys, they will follow. Um, Cause that Miami team, those dudes are hard. I mean, Jimmy's introduced me to a couple of those guys in the locker room and those guys, you know, they worship at, at, at the, at the, at the altar of Jimmy. And, and so, Hart would like to see Jimmy get that ring and do it his way in the perfect culture for him, Miami, with Riley and Spolstra. Um, Head says you you if you're gonna take a swing at the king, you best not miss. And LeBron James <laughs> yeah. is still the king. Last time I looked. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it'll be those two teams, and I I, I want Jimmy Butler to win so bad. It's as close as I'll uh, this old Bulls fan will have to the championship because I loved him when he was on the Bulls, and I felt as disappointed when they traded him as he felt. He didn't want to be traded, Joe no. Cowley. He wanted to build this thing in Chicago. He wanted to bring his boys and bring you know his recruits and and play general manager, and they just didn't have that kind of vision. Yeah, but maybe they do now. So, but I'm with you. I I just think LeBron James is on a mission, uh, and you're right. I think I predicted the Clippers uh, were going to be the champions. Boy, did they disappoint me in that uh, series against Denver. Uh, well, that that just shows to show you Styles make the fight because I think the Clippers actually would have given the Lakers all kind of fits and possibly beat them because it's just a, the way they match up. But Denver was just a bad matchup for the Clippers. And, and whether they took them lightly or, or Styles, it just didn't work out for them. Well, it sure didn't work out for me. I predicted. I can't remember who you predicted. you predict the Lakers I at the start the of the season? I always okay. And LeBron, until the man is no longer wearing sneakers, I'm putting him in the finals. I was one of the 16 that, that voted him number one for MVP. Well, you should have. Then let's just, let's just say that. Sports Writers of America, what a disgrace. This although, guy is although, so – Although, Ben, I was also the only one in the country, as Ja Moran pointed out, that voted Zion over Ja. He would have been unanimous if it wasn't for <laughs> Joe Collard. Well, good thing I didn't have a vote because I had a vote for Kobe White. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there, Joe. It's always a blast talking to you uh, and look forward to talking to you again. Stay safe and sound, all right? All right, you too as well. That's the great Joe Cowley. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Don't hang up. Don't hang up. Ah, shit. <laughs>